1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wisoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC Campfires is brought to you by DSC, the Dallas Safari Club. Conservation, education and hunter advocacy. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Ruger, rugged, reliable firearms. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, the calling is call made. Double Nickel Taxidermy, where hunting memories are preserved now, here's your host, Larry Wysu.
1: For those of you who were with us last week, we did some absolutely fantastic fishing with Chris Moody for crappie, and I need to tell you, they were absolutely delicious. Now, getting back and frying crappie for my wife and me, and I walked into my office and saw a mule deer, a mount of a mule deer, if you know what i'm talking about and it reminded me of all the great times that i spent hunting mule deer over the years i've been very fortunate i shot my first mule deer you know that reminds me of a song that goes you take the high road and i'll take the low road and that kind of thing. And as it worked out, I was hunting in far Western Texas on that first mule deer hunt with Jerry Grestad. At the time I was working for wildlife diseases and Jerry was one of the students at Texas A&M who was a, a student laborer. If you, if you want to call it that, but also a very, very dear friend. And he and I got in on a lease in far Western Texas with a bunch of biologists just North of Kent kind of on the edge of the Apache mountains there. And, um, uh, have to tell you that was a very interesting hunt and it was one of those situations we did not have a whole lot of money outside of being able to pay for the hunt and went out there in my little wife's red my wife's little red volkswagen i guess it should say and had didn't have any tent didn't we had sleeping bags and a couple of tarps and a And a couple of pots and pans to where we could fix something to eat, and I will remember getting in there that first afternoon right before, oh, so we'd have a little bit of time to kind of look around. Actually got there a day ahead of time before the season opened, and uh, set up our camp, if you will, which was a tarp laid out on the ground, and we knew that if it got really cold, we could crawl in between that tarp, the covers, use it as cover, and and hopefully the rattlesnakes would stay away, and the scorpions, and all those other kind of good things, but got set up and went out that afternoon with just a little bit of light left and, and saw some mule deer off in the distance and they were so far out there that really couldn't tell whether they were bucks or does but you could tell that they were deer. Spent the night rather chilly I might add and uh, got up the next morning and made a big old pot of cowboy coffee and did some bacon and some eggs and kind of some stir toast kind of thing stir meaning that we dropped it into the bacon grease if you will and kind of browned it a little bit to make our own toast and started doing some walking there was much country that i wanted to see this was at the time the ranch was called the yearwood ranch it's since changed hands numerous times but right at a uh, kind of a confluence of a couple little dry creeks in the, what they call persimmon gap which was kind of a Oh, a big open area between two, oh, more or less mountain ranges, if you will, and wasn't a whole lot of water in that country. What water was there was around the windmills, and the, our camp was set up probably about 200 yards from the windmill so that we didn't scare the cattle. This was at the request of the landowners to not camp right next to the water. And, we got out that next morning after having a bite to eat and some good strong cowboy coffee and started walking around and, and looking to see where we might want to hunt the next day. Well, long story short, we walked a lots of distance that day, crawled up and down mountains, found a few shed antlers from years earlier and found a few tracks and saw a few deer off in the distance and finally got back into, almost back to camp that afternoon. And I'm walking along through some about chest high, vegetation pretty thick and and lo and behold a a doe just jumped up right in front of me and started bouncing out there in that stotting that they do and right behind her came a fawn and then another doe and I thought my goodness so finally I've got a close look up at some mule deer so f- looked at them for a little bit as they disappeared off in the distance, and I thought, well, you know what? <clears throat> I really need to go back and see what a fresh bed looks like so that if I run across a fresh bed of, of a mule deer, I'll know that they may be out somewhere in that area, media deer feeding. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I walked right back to where the mule deer got up, and no sooner had I done that than a really nice, big, typical ten five by five mule deer but jumped up literally underneath my feet he came up within probably two feet of where i was about to step and ran out there a little way and looked back at me and i'm going oh my gosh if only it were opening day (laughs) if only i could shoot him didn't have a gun of course but so ended up that night and uh start with i went back the next morning opening day to the area where i'd seen that deer and <clears throat> looked for him and looked for him and couldn't find him. I found a little 4 corn buck off in the distance and a couple of does and we had agreed to meet kind of at the base of, of one of the open slopes that kind of led to a huge expanse of open country down in the flats. <clears throat> if i'd have known better i'd have been hunting those flats years later i found out that before the rut really got started in that area those bigger mule deer bucks hung out down those little creek bottoms down in the, the flats and creek being a interesting term because the only difference is there's a deep cut a little canyon if you will uh and vegetation right along the edges of maybe a little bit taller than the, the stuff that's five feet away from it but um we decided that uh yeah, I looked at this hillside, and, and I knew Jerry was tired, and I was tired. It was noon; we'd been walking all morning, and kind of looked over at him, and I said, Do "You want the high side? Do You want to take the high road, or you want to take the low road?" And he goes, "He's Larry, he said, I'm I'm really tired." He says, I, "I think I'll take the the lower road." And I said, "Well, I'll just walk up. Come almost to the top. There was a rim rock. Kind of ran along the edge of this long ridge." kind of a mountain, if you want to call it that, before it dropped off in this huge expanse of the open country before you could again see mountains. <clears throat> Walked up there, kind of angled up, and I got within about maybe, oh hundred 100 yards of the uh, rim rock, and then I just started kind of zigzagging back and forth, going up to the rim rock and dropping down 100 yards, going back up to the rim rock and dropping down like 100 yards. And, after about four or five of those zigzags, I, I just happened to hear rocks rolling up above me. And as I looked up there, lo and behold, here is a mule deer. It's a, not only a mule deer, it's a real nice mule deer buck. I can see that on the side that I'm looking at that's facing me, he's got five points, meaning he's got a good deep fork, very long front points. It looks like he's reasonably wide, not not overly huge wide, but reasonably wide, pretty good mass, at the time, I was hunting with a uh, Savage Model 99 lever action and a, a 300 Savage topped with a um, six-power Weaver scope, a K- or K6 Weaver fixed-power scope. And <coughs> this this deer, t- <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it just had a front blow in here, and I guess it doesn't like me, <coughs> spotted this deer and he's about 125 yards up there and i'd been shooting that model 99 savage liver action and and uh knew kind of where it shot at different distances but i knew it was sighted in at 100 yards and i kind of walked over very quickly to uh, Oh, had uh, a little bit of a stick up there, uh, some of the, with the okatea that's uh, also called Devil's Walking Cane. Doesn't really have any limbs, it just has thousands of fair size thorns on it, if you will, and I was wearing leather gloves, so I grabbed a hold of that okatea and kind of worked my way around the, the thorns and got the crosshair set up on that deer and, and uh, gently tugged the trigger and, oh my God, the deer went down immediately. I shot him through both shoulders and he just kind of went down and I went, Oh my gosh. And so I hurried and levered in another, another round and, and, waited just in case for him to get up. If he did, and wait there, wait there for about three or four minutes and figured out that he wasn't going to get up anymore. And I walked my way up there and I took a lot <laughs> longer to walk up there than it takes to tell about it. I'd slip and slide, go up about three or four steps and slide back to and finally got up there to that deer. And, for years, ever since I'd been a little kid. and my I watched friends of my dad go to Colorado and they'd come back from Colorado with these huge mule deer racks, huge mule deer. And having read all the things I did as a little kid from Jack O'Connor and a whole bunch of the other writers of that era, I wanted to hunt mule deer. Not only did I want to hunt mule deer, I wanted to take a mule deer. Well, finally I had the mule deer down. I walked up there and got to the side and said a prayer of thanks and I'm going, Oh my gosh, I have finally, finally done it. Look now, and sure enough, it's a really nice mule deer. He's got five points, including brow tine on one side and four on the other. He likes the back split on the other side. I guessed him probably to about 22 to 20, 24 inches outside. Good main beams, kind of swept all the way around. Had particularly good long front tines, which over the years I've, I've grown to appreciate more and more all the time those mule deer that have those longer front times i was absolutely thrilled i just i'm sure i let out a aggie war whoop that you could probably hear almost back to the motherland or fatherland there in college station about 500 miles away got a few pictures by myself i had a camera that i could set up to get photographs with and self-timer and and uh gutted my deer and then I started the process of trying to get him off the mountain and finally got him about three quarters off that ridge and, and uh, Jerry had heard the shots and by then he'd come over there running up there and he goes oh my god you got him you got him we had a celebration there dragged my deer to camp and uh, I stayed there that afternoon and it took care of the cape and the, the meat and Jerry went out and hunted that afternoon hunted the next day and he hunted the next day and unfortunately really couldn't find another mule deer buck uh he saw several mule deer does but um during the process time he was hunting i cut up our deer and have to tell you that uh that fresh back strap was pretty darn good pretty good particularly in a dry camp where the water we had came from a Oh, a water trough about 200 yards away, and and uh, our tent, as I said, was not a tent at all. It was just kind of a, a tarpaulin thrown on the ground that we could sleep on top or in between. And I couldn't wait to get home. Had a dear friend of mine, Eugene Fox, mount the deer for me, and to this day, it, it's one of my my favorite deer. I've always been enthused and, and enthralled with enthused with hunting mule deer and seeing mule deer and spending time in mule deer country and enthralled simply by the species. To me, as you may have heard me say in the past, there is nothing more impressive in North America than a truly big mule deer buck, one that's probably right at 30 inches outside and, and um, big old tall tines because you he, he's one of those Chuck Norris things because when he's up on a ridge somewhere or he's standing there and he's turning his head he's not he's not turning his head that world revolves down around him Oh, mule deer's <clears throat> had the opportunity to hunt him over the years in Colorado several times in New Mexico and and a, and a couple of other places down in snore Mexico and Favorite has always kind of been western Texas. Now, I had a chance to work with desert mule deer a little bit on the wildlife management area called the Black Gap down in the Transpacus of Texas and shot several does down there for research purposes where we're trying to get an idea of reproduction, but also to get a better idea in terms of uh, uh, nutrition and what they were eating and, and how much they were eating of different things. So it was a, a good education in, in that respect. A few years later, they formed an organization called the Mule Deer Foundation. Now, I've been involved in one form or fashion with the Mule Deer Foundation just about the time since they got started many, many years ago, and mostly from the outside. Years later, after they started, I became a life member of, of the Mule Deer Foundation. And, and, and for a while, a guy by the name of Mark Barber was their editor. Mark and I had worked together at the North American Hunter when he was the editor there many years ago. And, when he was editing the Mule Deer magazine for the Foundation, I was able to do several um, articles for him. Well, recently, after I was looking through the magazine, and I noticed my name was still on the on the list as being a uh, media representative, if you will, or a writer. And so I got in touch with uh, Brian Feinhold, who's the C-O-O of uh, Mule Deer Foundation, and Brian and I had gotten to be friends through Dallas Safari Club, running into each other at DSC and other other functions, kind of very similar, and he and I share very much the same beliefs in terms of conservation, hunters pay for conservation, and both of us love mule deer, and maybe he a little bit more than I do because he actually works for the Mule Deer Foundation. But uh got in touch with Brian, and he and I had an absolutely fantastic conversation a few minutes few mornings ago actually I almost said a few minutes ago because it seems that way but as a result of all that I'm going to start trying to do a little bit more work with Mueller Foundation uh, they're great partners of the Dallas Safari Club of which I am a very fond and very to me there's no finer organization in the world when it comes to anything having to do with wildlife conservation than the dsc and, and of course i also now serve on the board of directors of the dsc foundation so uh as a result of all that and my my love of mule deer got to visit with uh with brian as i mentioned and i'm going to start doing some articles for them for their mule deer publication here again in the future and something i'm really excited about because uh they really have come stepped up. They recently changed the format of that magazine, and it now is a wonderful, wonderful magazine. Not that it wasn't before. But uh, they've added a bunch more pages, gone to quarterly as opposed to every other month. But in the process, they added a considerable number of more pages to the magazine, which allows them to publish more articles, including on things having to do with biology, the current status of mule deer in different parts of the country. And uh, guys like uh, Jim Heffinger is doing a lot of work with them right now as well too. And I noticed Mark Kaiser, an old friend of mine many years ago from uh, North American Hunter when we used to do the, you call the shops, uh, that Mark also does a fair amount of writing for them, and, and uh, so I'm truly honored to, to again be able to uh, hopefully do a few articles here and there for them as well too. If you're interested in mule deer, I, I really think you need to just Google the Mule Deer Foundation and become a member. It's it's like uh, DSC. If you love conservation and you love the outdoors. You need to be a member of DFC, and you can do that very easily. Just go to b-i-g-g-a-m-e dot org, and, and, uh, my guy, there are all kinds of levels of membership there that you can join at, so, uh, Hopefully you'll do that, and hopefully you'll join the Mule Deer Foundation. I've got a bunch of hunts coming up this year. I'm going to hunt Colorado. I'm going to hunt two West Texas, uh, or the West Texas Mule Deer, and a uh, Lower Texas Panhandle Mule Deer, and then uh, also going to be hunting Baja. Cal- used to call Baja California for their version of the Mule Deer that's there as well too. Hopefully you'll join me here again for too very long, and uh, we'll start telling a few more mule deer stories, or we just might be back here in just a little bit. But in the meantime, just want to remind you, please, please become a member of dsc of the dallas safari club just because it has dallas in front of it it's a worldwide organization it does so much good for hunting when it comes to uh, anything having to do with hunter advocacy so much of what uh, sometimes other organizations take credit for dsc is responsible for getting done not only in in texas of course but uh, worldwide and particularly over in, in washington as well too and they're there defending us all the time as hunters and promoting conservation and the importance of hunting and conservation and how those two really are one and the same and how they work together. Be back here with you in just a few moments. I'm going to uh, go get a bite to eat. And uh, it's one of those days on a, where I finally had an opportunity to uh, sit down in front of the speaker a little bit and talk to you. And I want to come back and tell you another hunting story or two about hunting mule deer. I think I've told you in the past. This is kind of like sitting around a campfire, and, and uh, that's that's kind of what it is in so many different ways. As I mentioned I just had to go get a bite to eat. Actually, I'm I'm cooking some some venison in a Dutch oven, and kind of need to go check on the status of it, <clears throat> make sure that uh, the coals are properly placed and on the bottom and on the top, and want to make sure too that I have the right amount of onions and and uh, liquid still in the bottom of that thing, and some potatoes and and carrots and uh you know no telling where this is going to go uh, i put a couple slices of bacon inside of a lost some seasoning inside of a back strap and then, then uh, kind of braised it a little bit and then put it in the dutch oven added some uh, some fluid a little bit of red wine red wine um, sounded like i maybe had a glass or two of it but uh, a little bit of red wine and, and some other seasonings as well too and, Gonna let it cook for about another hour or so on a, on a very low heat, and uh, it'll be time to eat. And I wish you were here to join me to uh, or sit around the campfire. Sure enough, as a friend of mine would say, and and uh, do a little bit of maybe talking about mule deer hunting some more. Uh, as I told you, my my first mule deer hunting experience happened in in western Texas, and. Then I hunted New Mexico a lot for a while. I was very good friends, still am, with uh, several now former game wardens. They at that time were the executive director, uh, Bill Montoya, became the executive director of New Mexico Game Department. Ron Porter was a oh uh, warden at the time. Uh, Tim Bearclaw, a few others of those guys I used to spend a lot of time with. We all kind of hunted together. They'd come to Texas and hunt whitetail and turkeys, and I'd go to New Mexico and hunt mule deer with them. And those hunts were absolutely fantastic. I uh, used to hunt a place years ago, and I so wanted to shoot a buck that had double forks on both sides with it brow tines. That was kind of my goal in life after I'd shot that first mule deer. that was a 3x4, as Westerners would call him. But I wanted a true 4x4 four four or 5x5 five five so badly. So we were hunting kind of between Carrizozo and Corona, right along the edge of the mill pies, which is the old, really rugged, nasty, glass, cut you like a knife, <laughs> lava flow area there. That we were hunting just off of it, and... We're headed. I was actually walking from one place to the next. I had there were we're hunting a ranch where there was a little property in between to where, the it was kind of like if you open, put your hand out and made fingers wide apart, you know there were different little stretches in there where you had to cross, uh, oh either public land or, or uh, you had to go around the edge of, of private land to get back onto the private land you're hunting, and it's so done. I happened to glance up on a hillside, and my gosh. In the property that I had permission to hunt, there were nine mule deer bucks in a bunch. I quickly looked, went to, several of them I could tell were little young farcorners, but uh, there were three bucks in there that, oh my gosh, they were phenomenal uh, for that area at the time, or at least as far as I'm concerned. One of those bucks was a really nice, massive, massive nine point. He lacked a back tine on one side or a split on one side and the other one was a true five by five mule deer he was a uh, split on back split up front had a a long brow tine on one side and another brow tine on the other side and then a little kicker coming off the brow tine i looked at him long enough to determine that and and i uh, kind of moved around at the time i was shooting a, a winchester or a 270 winchester with horned dmo and uh Long before Trigicon became a a company or even were producing any kind of scopes, and kind of worked around a little bit and kind of kept an eye on those deer, and they were up there just feeding, not really paying a whole lot of attention. They'd kind of look our direction or my direction every once in a while, but really didn't didn't even try to to do any kind of moving or like ever spooked or anything. By paying attention to the wind, the wind was blowing from the upper hillside down to the bottom of the canyon, toward the canyons rather, and So I kind of was eating that way into the wind, finally got up there within about 125 yards. And uh, I could see the deer in that pinion and junior country, and then they would move off and they disappear. And then, oh oh my gosh, I've lost them. And then all of a sudden, there he'd be again. And thankfully, one of those, there he'd be again, I was set up across an old cedar stump and um, had that rifle and scope about where I thought that deer should walk out. And sure enough, lo and behold, this this big four by four with brow tines and the kicker stepped out and my heart was beating so hard I'm surprised that I could even even keep that crosshair anywhere on the hillside <laughs> but finally it seemed like forever it probably took a matter of a couple of seconds uh, I settled down enough to where the crosshair my my reticle movement was maybe all of about three inches on that deer's shoulder so. When it was, I very slowly started pulling the trigger, and shot went off, and that old deer just went down like he was never going to get up again, and he didn't, and he didn't. But I got ready just in case, and man, there were mule deer bucks bouncing all over the place, and I was kind of oh my God, is that him, is that him, is that him, is that kind of thing? and But... Uh, Thankfully, none of the other mule deer looked exactly like this one, so I thought, well, maybe maybe he is down, and if he's not, maybe I can pick up a good blood trail, and I'll follow him to wherever I need to to find him. Sure enough, got up there, and here's this deer on his side. Uh, I mean, it was an absolutely gorgeous deer, Good, good mass, good time length, probably only about 23 or so inches wide, but absolutely butterball fat. And I remember it taking me about a little bit longer to, to to take the insides out of them simply because there was so much fat between, or tallow, if you will, between the skin and the, the, uh, the, the to where you got into the muscle where you could make cuts. The brisket, there must have been an inch of, of tallow on the brisket. And later I found out when I got him back to camp and took the skin off to start cooling him down. And, keep the meat in good shape the the on his back there was a good inch and a half if not more of tallow this this deer was unbelievably fat and looking back you know to me he looked like he weighed 400 pounds at the time but looking back the deer probably field dressed about about 200. he was an absolutely great deer and a lot of that, those deer in that area if you shot a really good one were they'd field dress and mature deer anywhere from about 150 to 180 pounds and this deer just had so much fat on him that when I finally got him back home, I had to spend a lot of time taking the fat off because I learned that for the most part, you get a really gamey flavor sometimes if you leave a lot of fat on venison. So oh, I took great pains to, to trim the venison off, I mean, separate the venison from the from the tally, if you will. That camp was with a dear friend of mine who has since passed away, David Manahans, and another gentleman, Chuck Dowshaw, who recently passed away as well, too. Chuck years was a fisheries biologist and then a wildlife biologist and David was a rancher out of out of Abilene and the three of us Chuck and, and David and I used to hunt a fair amount together on the, the properties that uh, David and his family owned and, and that they managed but uh you know those kind of hunts when you start talking about them I start remembering all the little cool things about that hunt we had hunted that particular ranch oh probably about three or four different times in the past and every year we shot, as it worked out, some some really nice deer. Now, years later, I had the opportunity to hunt, not that far from that particular ranch, and uh, for some really nice mule deer. Hunting out there for a while with the High Desert uh, Ranch, and huge, huge ranch in terms of of uh, numbers of acres and. There were some areas there that had some really good deer population. there would be pockets of them. And over the years that I hunted out there, I hunted out there about five, six, seven years. And those years that I hunted out there, every year I shot some really good deer. The the widest desert mule deer ever shot was a big three-by-three that uh, I shot on a place called Rattlesnake Ridge. He was a three-by-three with little bitty brows and was right almost 31 inches outside now the interesting thing about that hunt was we hunted a place there called rattlesnake ridge and the reason it was called rattlesnake ridge is because of the fact that it was it was a, a big snake den. that area too had lots of ruins pueblo runs if you will and and i guess those snakes would figure out how to get in between some of that adobe and and uh, they did really really well there in terms of production in terms of maintaining snake populations we, we knew a little bit about this deer. The ranch owner had seen him in the past and he told me, so Larry said, there's a really nice wide three by. He said, I know you're looking for one that's a, you know, a good four by with splits and all that kind of thing. And he said, you know, if you keep coming back with me, we're going to, we're going to shoot one there uh, in this area. But I think if you see this wide buck, you might just take him. So we were working our way into that area where he had last seen him and she Gosh! Looked up on the ridge, and I, you, we just had to be glass in that direction, and you could see this—these tips of these antlers start coming up from the other side, kind of uh, just kind of rising up, appearing over the top of, of, of a little ridge right there. And finally, this this buck walked out, and and. Uh, looked over at Brian, the owner, and, and he goes, Larry, that is him. He said, you really need to shoot that deer. And he said, if you want to. And I said, oh my God, do I want to that deer. Huge, long, time, massive, wide, you know, 30 inch wide. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, hurriedly set up and, um, I was shooting a Ruger number one in a 270, one of the RSI's with the Hornady DMO and, and, uh, 130 grain got a good solid rest and at about 200 yards literally just dropped this deer in its tracks and um took us a little while to get up there and it was one of those mornings where it was relatively cool it was and uh we'd hope maybe the snakes had already gotten into the to the uh, their dens and but we're still being very careful walking our picking our way through the brush and the rocks and the litter and and up on to get on top of this ridge and and uh get up here to where this deer is laying on its side i look over there and i go oh my gosh he's absolutely beautiful and then i noticed there there's something laying on top of this deer get a little closer and it is about a three foot rattlesnake. lake gets coiled up there on top of this deer just about in the flank i guess there was some warmth there and and uh it, that snake was looking for a warm spot and this up a little bit higher up to where it could get more sun on itself. And I hey, use up there and we can grab a stick. And, and uh, since they are way out in the middle of nowhere, there's no need to kill a rattlesnake. So kind of just took the, it, kind of pitched him out in the uh, out in the brush a little and Hopefully, he'd stay there. And I go, oh my God! Now I've got you. Now I look at my deer and I'm looking at my deer and I'm grabbing the antlers and moving them back and forth and. About that time, Brian said, Larry, you want to get some pictures? Oh, yeah, but let's set him up like we need to. And I said, let's put him on his brisket. Pull that deer up to where I set him on his brisket, and guess what? There's about a three-foot rattlesnake right underneath where that deer was. And uh, I'm sure it had crawled underneath that deer to catch what warmth it could. Again, took took another stick, pitched that deer out there, and and, uh, I'm sorry, pitched that rattlesnake (laughs) away from that deer. And uh, we got our photos and and got off that ridge as as quickly as we could before the day warmed up anymore and the snakes became you know were coming out even in greater numbers, but that entire ridge that they locally called Rattlesnake Ridge and we found out that there was a really good reason for it to be called that. <laughs> so, oh my goodness, I, I shot a couple of other really nice bucks there in that place. One was about a oh, 28, 29 inch whitetail looking 10 point. I mean, he had no splits, but he looked just exactly like a whitetail buck with, uh, three primary tines and the main beam and then brow tines and about 28 inches wide. And then sending out there one year with, with a handgun and I was using the Ruger 44 with, uh, uh, 240 grain XTP Hornady ammo. And, and again, this is before, uh, uh, trinchicon really got into the to the to the scope business as far as hunting is concerned and brian had told me he said larry he said there's there's a we're going to sit up at a set up at a water hole he said there's a water hole he said the mule deer have really been coming to as of late and uh he said we'll find us a spot there in kind of the sage where we can kind of lean back against the sage bush and and uh he said you know I'll sit there together And he said i'll kind of look one way you look the other way and he said, "There's one buck in here I really want to take." He says, "Hey, that deer is probably right at 180. He, he's an old deer." He said, uh, "I don't think he's ever going to get any bigger. His one side does not split as widely as the other does, but uh, he is probably 27, 26 inches outside, and long main beams, long time. And he said, "I think if you get an opportunity at this deer, I think I think you'll probably uh, I think you probably take it." I happened to be there for, uh, back years ago, for a while, I did a show called uh, A Hunter's Life that was, uh, that we filmed for a couple of years in between some other shows that I was doing. And so I had the cameraman with me and he was kind of behind me there, not very far away. And, and uh, just, well, just right behind me actually. And sure enough, that afternoon, that little, little sagebrush flat where the water hole was just literally got covered up with deer. We saw probably 30, 40 deer at in, in one time. Several bucks, including some that were truly, truly tempting. Really nice back tine split, front splits, brow tine, massive bucks. that, Oh my gosh, would have probably been anywhere from 22 to about 26 inches wide, but lots of mass and lots of tine length to them. And, and then of course a bunch of young bucks as well too, which I always love to see because if I'm seeing young bucks that means there're gonna be some older bucks there in the future. Set up there and just probably about oh twenty minutes or so before the sun went down, this buck walked out, and I thought, oh my gosh, that's as good a big a buck, good a buck, as big a buck, best buck that I've ever seen on this on, on this ranch. I mean, he was absolutely huge. Really dark, nice, chocolate looking antlers, kind of polished ivory tips and I'm going, surely this, this is not the one that he's talking about. About that time I felt a sharp, little sharp jab in my, my right side. And i turned around and was Brian. He said, Larry, that's the one, that's the one you want to shoot. He said, get set up. Well, I already had my little shooting stick set up and, uh, had that pistol kind of halfway leaned up against it. So I didn't have to hold the pistol the whole time and, and uh, waited for that deer to move around. Finally got within about a hundred yards of us and when he did, he gave me an opportunity at a broadside shot. I have to admit, I'm glad I had a little bit extra time because when I realized that was the deer I wanted to take, or that, that Ryan wanted me to take as well, I, I really had the shakes. You talk about a bad, a bad case of buck fever. Well, with the time that I had waiting for him to turn around to, to a proper position where I could pull the trigger and uh, put a clean shot on him to put him down quickly, um, I, my buck fever thankfully subsided just a little bit, so had the gun on the sticks, had a uh, four-power scope, a little uh, long eye-relief scope, cocked the hammer, head wobbled all over the place, but then it finally settled down on the deer's shoulder. And uh, When it all came together, took a deep breath, held as steady as I could, pulled the trigger, And as soon as I shot, the deer went down and and, uh, immediately was up again. And and before I could get, so quickly he was gone that I didn't get a chance to get a second round into him. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Now I've shot what to me is the mule deer, desert mule deer of a lifetime from New Mexico. And he's run off. Oh, please, Lord, let me find him. So uh, we sat there for just a little bit. And it was almost just exactly dark. And uh, but just enough light to see. And he said, he said, Larry, I want to give that deer some time, is what Brian had said, to, to go lay down. And and I'm going, OK, <laughs> I, I was so excited still, just the fact that I had finally got to shoot this big a deer and him with my Ruger Super Blackhawk Hunter and a 44 mag. I knew that 240 grain XTB XTP bullet that Hornady produces and then their loads super super accurate i i shot 1 inch groups at 100 yards with that particular combination in the past with that handgun but that was at paper and not at a huge mule deer so I'm going, please, Lord, may it, it shot as accurately as the gun is capable, and may I have done my job. So with just precious little light remaining, we got up and, and uh, walked to where the deer, you could see where he fell. I mean, there was a spot in on the, on the sand and in between the, the uh, sagebrush where you could tell where that deer had gone down and a little bit of blood, as I mentioned, and, and a blood trail that kind of took off into the junipers we walked for probably about 40 yards and on a blood trail and then it totally disappeared and i thought oh my gosh you know what's gone on here where'd he go what's happened so we just started circling we just started circling trying to again find tracks because all there were hardly any tracks right there that you could discern is being that deer there were a whole lot of other tracks there from a lot of the other deer But for that one particular deer, you'd have thought, well, maybe he's dragging, you know, a leg or something a little bit. No, we could not tell his track if it was there from any of the rest of them. But we started circling and just kind of made our circle bigger and bigger and bigger and kind of walking in tandem side by side as we're circling. Brian was on the outside of the circle each time, and all of a sudden I heard him go, "Uh uh-huh, and I thought, what do you mean, uh uh-huh, and I thought what did, what did he find? You know, and he goes, uh, he said, Larry, he said, you better come over here. I thought, Oh my gosh. You you know, did I, did I not, did, did I shoot the wrong deer? Did, did I shoot a deer that I wasn't supposed to? Did I accidentally not see a deer back behind him? The bullet penetrated all the way through him and, and hit this other deer, which had happened, thankfully not in New Mexico, but in Texas where you could take multiple deer with that 44 mag. And, uh, oh my goodness what what gives what's what's going on so I walked over and as as I got over there I could see Brian smiling and as I got a little bit closer he was pointing down at the ground and at his feet lay this this mule deer bucket I'd shot it absolutely a, a monstrous central New Mexico desert mule deer uh gosh brings back so many memories so many memories spent a lot of time at that on that hunt sitting around the campfire too telling stories with several people and telling us tales of great stags bested and great stags lost in, in places that we really want to go in the future. But uh, that's kind of where I'm going to end this one right here today is we'll come back and talk mule deer some more, but in the in, and I've got, Several good hunts set up. I'll tell you a little bit more about those as we get a little bit closer into the summer and into the early fall. But in the meantime, I want to really encourage you to go to dsc.org. Nope, that's not the right one. Big game. B-I-G-G-A-M-E dot O-R-G to sign up to become a member of DSC, the world's finest and greatest hunter conservation organization, bar none. And if you're interested in mule deer in any remote farm or fashion, please look up the Mule Deer Foundation. It's the Mule Deer Foundation and sign up there as well, too. And if you don't mind, if there's a question there is who sent you, tell them Larry sent you. So between now and the next time we sit around this campfire, I hope that you become a member of DSC and of the Mule Deer Foundation. We'll be right back here with you next week with another tale or two to tell. Who knows where we'll go or where we'll end up. DSC's Campfires with Larry
2: Wisoon has also been brought to you by Texas Wildlife Association. Working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Texas-raised hunting products, the scent gods, can attract boots for the trails less traveled. Voight, the finest in hunting gear. Pyramid Air for all things Air gun and Ripcord Rescue Travel Protection.